Floyd Collins worked his entire life to reach his goal of getting rich by owning his own cave attraction, and he was potentially within arm's reach of achieving that goal when a rock in a tight cave trapped him for over two weeks. The story of his entrapment, the almost comical if it wasn't so bad rescue effort, and what happened after the rescue are so shocking that I'm surprised I wasn't aware of this story until I started researching for this episode. I'm your host, Tatiana, and this is Occurrence. Floyd Collins was born on July 20th, 1887 in Auburn, Kentucky, the third born of his seven other siblings. His family owned quite a bit of farming land, and he started exploring the caves on the property at six years old, and dropped out of school at 10 because he wanted to find Native American artifacts in caves and sell them. While he was exploring, he found bodies of other explorers too. You'd think that might keep him cautious enough to avoid his situation later on, but I'll get back to that soon. Floyd was eventually hired to be a cave guide in mapped caves, and he became convinced that all caves connected in the Mammoth Park area. He was in caves practically his whole life, so his fear of them was non-existent, it seems, because he was known for exploring tight caves and tunnels that everyone else was too scared to do. This is part of why some consider him one of the greatest cave explorers in history. So, the early 20th century had an era known as the Kentucky Cave Wars, which obviously took place in Kentucky. The property owners and splunkers were in this intense competition to exploit the riches of caves for profit from tourists, who would pay to see the caves. So Floyd, who at this point in his life was very experienced in cave exploration, discovered his first cave on his family's farm in 1910. It was named Donkey's Cave, and in the following years, he assisted with the discovery of Dozy's Dome Cave and Great Onyx Cave. In 1917, Floyd took the first step towards achieving his goal. He uncovered a sinkhole entrance to a cave on the family property. His father deeded him half interest, and the entire family worked to transform that cave into a tourist attraction. It had veritable walls, smooth ceilings, and tons of colorful formations. A year later, it was open to tourists, but... Unfortunately, the location was so remote that very few people would even try to make the trip because they passed so many other cave sites on the way. In competition, caves would sabotage until tourist Floyd's Cave was closed and blocked the roads with boulders and other objects. It didn't help that his cave could only be reached by a rough wagon ride, so he bought a taxi, but he was terrible at driving and it was an unpleasant experience for visitors. Trying to further sabotage him, Five people demanded that Floyd hand over his lease to Crystal Cave and beat him so bad that his brother Homer had to run them off with a shotgun. They probably would have killed him if he hadn't done that. But that's not where Floyd's story ends. This is a man with a goal and nothing is going to stop him. Well, except for a situation later. He wasn't going to give up. He just had to pivot a little bit. Floyd wanted to find another entrance to Mammoth Cave or an undiscovered cave along the road to draw more visitors and bring more profit. So he made a deal. There were farmers with land closer to the main highway, so they made an agreement that if Floyd found a cave, they would form a business partnership and share the responsibilities of operating the tourist attraction they would turn it into. And let's just say that partnership ends very differently than you're going to expect it to. Now, when Floyd was 37, he believed he found the one. 
it was prime real estate and would eventually be called Sand Cave. Travelers would pass this cave first, before reaching everyone else's caves. It was like a dream come true. He just needed to clear the entrance because it was covered in dirt and gravel. Check it out, fix it up, and his family and the farmer that owned the property would be rich. So the narrow entrance he found, he spent 12 hours a day, all alone, clearing away dirt and stone for weeks. And on January 30th, 1925, with snow on the ground and it being a slightly warmer winter day, Floyd went into Sand Cave in his now manhole-sized entrance with one kerosene lantern and eventually lowered himself down into a four-foot drop. He crawled on his belly under jagged rocks for 50 feet and then encountered a tight passage that required him to exhale and squeeze through, pushing himself forward using only his toes. He had one arm stretched out ahead of him to push his lantern, and the other arm was at his side. So, he gets through that area, and the tunnel turns down at about a 45-degree angle. It goes down where the tunnel will then level back out horizontally and come out over a ledge over a 60-foot room. When Floyd discovered this room, his lantern started flickering, and he knew how dangerous it was to lose light in the cave, so he reluctantly turned back. But in the process of turning back, he knocked over his lantern. Now, he's one of the greats, so it's not a big deal for him with all of his experience. It's probably something that has happened before. As he goes back through that level part of the tunnel and approaches that turn, he pushes himself forward off of a rock using his feet. But the rock he pushes on is not solid, and a bunch of gravel falls around his legs and waist. He's pretty much buried up to his chest, and the rock he pushed off of is on top of his foot. The more he struggles, the more gravel falls. He scrapes at the walls until his hands are bloody and he exhausted himself to the point of passing out. Once he wakes up, he yells for help. And that cycle continues for hours. Yelling and sleeping back and forth with his arms going numb stuck in that one up, one down position. The spot he's in has melting snow water leaking onto him so he is able to drink a little bit of water whenever it falls. Now I'm sure you're thinking, Someone in his huge family or a friend would have noticed after a few hours that he was missing. But no, it was actually neighbors that noticed he didn't come home the night before and went to look for him. Why didn't his family notice? Well, Floyd was known for going splunking into a cave somewhere and coming out at a totally different area and asking whoever was nearby and owned the land if he could stay with them for the night. About 30 hours after none of the neighbors encountered Floyd, they started asking around if he had stayed with anyone last night. Everyone is saying no, so a 17-year-old boy goes out looking for Floyd. He finds his belongings near the entrance and goes in to look for him. He doesn't even get close to where Floyd's at. Floyd's the best caver, right? He's squeezing through anything. He doesn't care. This boy, on the other hand, is like, no, not happening. So he yells for Floyd, and Floyd yells back, asking for help and telling him to come and get him out. And the boy, who clearly has some level of self-preservation, is like, no, and leaves and goes to get help. So dozens of different men would try to go help Floyd, but every single one would come out not having gotten anywhere close to Floyd and practically declare they would never go down there again. Homer? Floyd's brother, catches wind of what's happening and arrives at the entrance to find men arguing outside. He walks right past them to enter the cave and it reeks of booze and cigarettes. But that doesn't stop him. He gets to the tight parts of the tunnel and that doesn't stop him either. 
It's tight, but he's going to get his brother, so he strips. He removes everything but his underwear, and he just keeps going. Homer makes it to the end of the tunnel, before the downward turn leading to Floyd, and realizes how terrible the situation is. He can pretty much only see Floyd's face and neck and realizes if he goes down headfirst, he would be working upside down to try and get Floyd out, and then have to try to get out of the dip and tunnel connected to it, feet first, for 20 feet crawling in reverse. But if he goes down feet first, he has to contort himself and turn around at the bottom of the dip where there is a little more space before the tunnel levels back out. But then he can get out head first, so that's what he does. It's risky, but he turns around and goes feet first to Floyd. Homer calls for someone to bring food, and they do. And he hand feeds Floyd nine sausage sandwiches and a pint of coffee that he had to pour down Floyd's throat. Homer tries to move the rocks from around Floyd, but he can't. The more he tries to pull rocks out, the more fall. So Homer eventually leaves a few hours later, and when he surfaces, he looks rough. The skin on his fingers was dangling, and he was shivering violently with dirt covering his face. Homer needed to take a break, so while he was recovering, more men tried to get to Floyd, but nobody would get close. So Homer returned around midnight, and for eight hours, he hacked at the rocks trapping Floyd with a crowbar, but didn't have any luck. At sunrise, Homer resurfaced, and he was aching. His arms and back were killing him, and his lungs felt like they were on fire. When he got to the surface, I'm sure he's baffled because there were a bunch of random people gathered and reeking of moonshine. And that honestly is the most tame scene in this entire story because it gets increasingly more chaotic as I continue on. Floyd had now been trapped for 48 hours, but they eventually started really brainstorming a rescue effort. They started working to widen the entrance and some of the newcomers threw out some ideas that included taking off Homer's shoes, that were buried and no one had access to, sending a contortionist down with a chisel, using dynamite, and there was the brilliant idea of cutting off Floyd's foot and trying to get him out before he bled out. So, real winning ideas. Homer asked teenagers to take Floyd blankets, drinks, and food, but they couldn't get near him and just stuffed the items in cracks in the cave and left. The adult men did the same thing, and everybody lied to Homer and told him that they had given him the items even though they clearly didn't. Marshall, another one of Floyd's brothers, put up a reward of $500 to whoever could free Floyd, but no one volunteered. So it's pretty clear that it seems like the only people truly trying to help Floyd at this point is his siblings, and Homer is obviously very frustrated with the state of the rescue, because when a reporter from out of town that went by Skeets asked Homer to comment on what was happening, Homer told the reporter, to go ask Floyd himself. So that's exactly what the reporter did. He put on coveralls and with absolutely no caving experience, he went to in the tunnel and reached the area before that downwards turn near Floyd. He was young and skinny, so he was able to get that far. He called for Floyd and got a weak mumble in response. So he slid down the drop and landed directly on Floyd. So then he had to crawl back up and slide back down in a way that kept him from being on top of Floyd. Skeets tried to get a response from him, but Floyd was hallucinating about angels wrapped in white linens, riding blazing chariots, and smelling freshly frothed cow's milk, chicken sandwiches, and onions. So Skeets left and went back to the surface and was now fully determined to save Floyd. 
At this point, he had been trapped for over 70 hours, and it was Monday. A Lieutenant Burden with the special rescue team arrived on scene and was able to make it to Floyd. Burden told him he was pretty confident that he could pull him out with a rope, but he might pull off his foot. Maybe he didn't know Floyd was hallucinating earlier and not in the right state of mind, but he said Floyd agreed when he went to the surface to tell everyone the plan was approved. The locals were strongly against it, and a doctor that was there said it would likely pull apart his insides. But Burden said there was no other options, since nobody had any other ideas, so everyone reluctantly agreed to try. Homer, Skeets, and Burden put a body harness on Floyd attached to a 100-foot rope that evening, and Homer fed him ham sandwiches, coffee, and whiskey. Then Floyd said he didn't actually want his foot pulled off. So Homer slipped him a sedative to build up his vitality if they actually ended up pulling off his foot. Because of course, that's what it's used for. So there are men near the cave entrance. Burden is a bit deeper in the cave. Skeets is at the top of that dip and Homer is right by Floyd. And he gives the signal to pull. Floyd screams because the angle of his spine is not flat and it was pretty much pulling his top half away from his bottom half. Homer ends up panicking and pulling in the opposite direction towards Floyd to get everyone to stop. And the pull is somehow so strong that it pulls the rope from everyone's hands. So everyone stops and leaves the cave completely shook by what just happened. Even Burden, whose idea it was, wasn't doing very well. So here we are at the end of Monday and about 200 people are now outside the cave. Two tents have been erected, one to sell hot coffee and snacks and the other is for first aid. And this was the scene John Gerald, caving buddy to Floyd, arrived to. He was completely disgusted by the effort so far and even more repulsed with the amount of food and other items just crammed into random places in the cave. He was only arriving on Monday because when he first heard Floyd was stuck, he didn't think much of it. He had been caving so many times with Floyd that the thought of him not being able to get out of wherever he was stuck never crossed his mind. Floyd was the best, he couldn't be stuck. But I think this absolute frustration and probably anger is what caused him to try so hard. When John reached the dip leading to Floyd, he couldn't fit. So he chipped away at the area until he could, and then he went to Floyd and worked six hours removing the gravel from around Floyd. And no, apparently, for some reason, no one else was able to do that before nearly splitting Floyd in half. John got it to the point where he had freed Floyd up to his upper thighs and could move his arms and hands. He had moved about half a ton of rock at that point, but John was too big to reach Floyd's knees. Floyd tells John nobody but him and his group are allowed back in, and John agrees with it. They were worried about a cave-in from too many people working in the cave, and obviously the inexperience of everyone so far only made things worse. Different groups started showing up to try and pitch in and were rejected. There were stonecutters of jewelry and Burden who suggested the rope again. Obviously, everyone shut down the rope idea. But the stonecutters were allowed to open up the entrance more so that people could access the cave easier. By now, the story is starting to go nationwide because Skeets wrote about what was happening. Floyd had now been trapped for over 100 hours. For now, people were moving and organizing better because they had developed a sort of pass-it-along line. They had people stationed at various points throughout the tunnel, passing rocks up and out, while they also supported the walls of the tunnel with boards. They set up lights so those in the tunnel could see and placed a light on Floyd's chest too. 
and this worked very well. At this time, Skeets was the one moving the rocks from Floyd, and he moved enough rocks to where Floyd had five inches of clearance around his torso. So Skeets squeezed on top of Floyd to remove the rocks around his knees. Even though I can imagine how up close and personal that situation was, it gave Floyd hope because he told Skeets he feels he's meant to make it out with both of his feet and that he would keep hanging on and he was so grateful to everyone helping. So Skeets writes about this interaction and his own fears surrounding the situation, which is a very taboo thing to do at the time, but the emotion he puts into his writing is what people latch onto, and the story is now blowing up nationwide. Everything from plays and entertainment to congressional meetings are paused when updates are released. People are invested and hooked on finding out what is going to happen to Floyd. He is offered his very own show when he gets out and everything. This all propelled Skeets to want to save Floyd even more. He's writing about how he feels they can save Floyd. He thinks they'll be able to pull it off after all. And to move progress along, they are offered jacks to get the stone off of his foot, but they can't find the right size jack. They were either too big or too small. The idea was to manually hold a support in the area where Floyd was to prevent more rocks falling and then use the jack with the other hand to hammer away at the large stone until it fell back into that huge 60-foot room just past where Floyd was. They tried to do it and it probably would have worked if Skeets had a third hand because with one hand holding the supports and the other using the jack, there wasn't enough force to push the rock forward using the smaller jack. The rock would just rotate and turn before landing back on Floyd's foot. Burden was down there too, but obviously it was just too tight for him to try to squeeze into the area as well. The frustration and overwhelming defeat hit them like a train, and they all wanted to collectively cry. Skeet's hands were purple from how bruised they were, and they covered Floyd with a blanket and left to meet the National Guard that had arrived to provide crowd control. That night, the tension was high between locals and outsiders. Everyone wanted to help, and everyone was becoming increasingly frustrated with their inability to do so. That night, everyone went home to rest with a plan to return in the morning, ready to save Floyd. The next morning, they decided to try the jack again, but with so many people going in and out of the cave, rubbing the walls, and adding body heat, John was worried about a collapse. The non-cavers tried to tell him it was fine, But when two men entered the cave to bring Floyd food that morning, they noticed large cracks on the ceiling of one of the passages. They left just in time to escape the falling debris and cave collapse right by Floyd. Homer tried to get in, but it was a lost cause. John, who is obviously upset because he said from the beginning to limit the amount of people in the cave, picked a few chosen men who knew the risk to try and dig out the collapse and then reinforce the walls. He's making progress, and he breaks through enough to see the light on Floyd's chest. But it's been raining the past few days. And this caused another collapse. This collapse injured John and forced him to leave the tunnel in defeat. This is Wednesday night, and the nation is listening. Churches are holding services for Floyd, and Skeets is becoming so popular he eventually requires an unofficial bodyguard. The next morning, February 5th, The governor of Kentucky places the National Guard in charge of the scene and has engineer Henry Carmichael oversee the creation of a vertical shaft to rescue Floyd. It's made very clear that cost should not be an issue and every possible effort should be made. 
Now, this is another turning point and not the last one either, but I feel this is where the real split starts to happen. Arguing over the best way to create the shaft caused them to not even get started until the afternoon, and they chose to only use picks and shovels because the heavy equipment would blow exhaust fumes into the cave and kill Floyd. So businesses nationwide sent supplies, too many actually, and a workforce of 75 men were scheduled to work around the clock to dig. Henry predicted it would take 30 hours to reach Floyd because he figured they would make two feet per hour, but the amount of mud and rocks eventually slowed them down to only six inches per hour. All of the intense work led to injuries, so a hospital was set up to treat people for cuts, illnesses, and exhaustion. And all of this work with all of these men pushed out the locals, and they were not happy about it. And this is where the tide starts to turn. Floyd has now been trapped for over 140 hours, and Friday marks a week that Floyd has been stuck. The shaft is moving at a snail's pace because trying to shovel stone and mud with warm winter weather makes slow work regardless of how well organized the process is. Reporters are pestering people trying to get information on Floyd, and 400 cars are jamming the roads trying to get to Sand Cave. There are movie crews on site to catch the drama, and then, of course, the only person who knows anything about caves gets banned. John gets banned from the rescue site because Burden wanted to blow warm air into the cave to keep Floyd warm, which, as we know, John has been anti-warmth in the cave from the beginning because we don't need it falling down anymore. So John is banned and the locals are amped. How can you push us out and the person who knows about caves? So they're actually getting so worked up, at one point they were talking about getting weapons to push the National Guard out. And it gets even worse from here. Over the weekend, the National Guard put up barbed wire fence to secure the rescue site, and the Red Cross showed up to feed the workers because up until this point, they only had black coffee, moonshine, and crackers. Now, Cave City was slammed with visitors and news reporters. I'm talking reporters from every state in the union and some foreign reporters. The town with less than 700 people in population now has 10,000 people overwhelming it. Restaurants ran out of food and homes were turned into hotels. The lack of parking spaces had people parking in pastures and people were so desperate for somewhere to stay that they paid to take naps in bathtubs. The area around the rescue site turned into a literal carnival and vendors started setting up food stands, entertainment, and selling booze. So, what was once a somewhat honest cave rescue is now this huge spectacle because the people that were coming to town were not there to help. They were there to watch. They didn't care if Floyd was dead or alive. They just wanted to see him pulled out. Now, because he wasn't rescued over the weekend, people are mad. They drove all that way and didn't see any action. And then it started to rain. By Sunday night, the shaft was only 25 feet deep, well beyond the estimated 30-hour mark and still a long way to go. By Wednesday, Floyd's still down there. The dynamite they were trying to use on the boulders wasn't working, so clearly progress was abysmal. A monitor had been set up to detect Floyd's movements to make sure he was still alive, and at hour 288, Floyd's light went out. The shaft was now at 44 feet, and Floyd's dad, who had been anxiously watching over the operation the past few days, began asking for donations. Probably because the whole family is preoccupied with Floyd and not working, and they still have bills to pay and mouths to feed. 
But the board reporters are so frustrated and desperate for a story that they take this information and run. They start a cons- they start a conspiracy about how the rescue is a scam to get the town and the family money. They continue to escalate and fabricate letters from Floyd saying he was alive and well and not in the cave. There are others saying the Collins family deliberately delayed helping Floyd. They also say John is a realtor and didn't want rescuers in the cave because he had financial interest in Crystal Cave and would inherit it with Floyd out of the picture. Burden even disgustingly made a comment on it saying that John was guilty of murder, which is clearly the most backwards and untrue statement ever. So all of this blew everything out of proportion, so much so that the governor ordered an investigation and instead of putting the full focus on getting Floyd out, they interrogated rescuers, family members, and witnesses. So now Valentine's Day rolls around. It's Saturday, two weeks and a day that Floyd has been trapped. 360 hours trapped 60 feet underground. The inquiry has been wrapped up and it concludes, no foul play. All the conspiracies were false. Now we're on to day 17 and they have finally made it 55 feet. Over 400 hours later, and it's been raining and snowing the past few days. Floyd has been without food for 12 days. There's reporters crowded outside and planes and passengers thirstily waiting to take the pictures for print. Rescuers had to dig sideways for a bit once they made the 55-foot mark because they missed Floyd, but they eventually break through the pit he's in. The rescuer shines a light on Floyd, and it hits his gold tooth. And then the rescuer yells, dead. They discovered he had been dead for three days, a couple hours after his light went out, and it was decided to leave Floyd in there to prevent anyone else getting hurt trying to get his body out. Movie crews filmed the family saying goodbye to Floyd, and his father was later seen gathering glass bottles due to how poor they now were. The farmer that owned the land Sand Cave was on, the one that made the deal with Floyd to share profits, someone that was Floyd's friend, put up a sign advertising for people to come look at the entrance he went down for 50 cents a pop. Some of the rescuers later secured contracts to go on tour and tell the story of what happened and be paid for it. And Skeets, the man who both helped and maybe inadvertently doomed Floyd, was offered $50,000 to tour, but he turned it down and continued working for his Louisville newspaper. He went on to earn a Pulitzer Prize for his reporting on Floyd. Homer was offered a touring deal that he accepted to secure enough money to get Floyd out of the hole. Two months after Floyd's death, he was able to hire miners to go down and get Floyd out, and when they removed the rock, they discovered it was 27 pounds. Floyd was then buried in the family cemetery on April 26, 1925. And in a strange twist, less tourists wanted to visit the caves in the area, and Cave City in general because they felt it was cursed, so the businesses suffered. But cavers were more determined than ever to find the next big cave, and more and more would lose their lives to try and find it. It was the only way many of them would be able to make money, and the problem was so bad that the federal government eventually became aware of it. Floyd's dad sold his stake in Crystal Cave, and then allowed a dentist to exhume Floyd's body and display it in a glass-covered crystal coffin in Crystal Cave. The rest of the family was horrified and against this, and in 1941, Congress stepped in because of everything happening and turned Mammoth Cave into a national park. They went and bought up the land piece by piece so they could regulate who had access to it. 
1961, the government bought Crystal Cave for over $280,000, and the public's access to the cave was later closed off. And finally, in 1989, Floyd's body was reburied back in a cemetery. Now, Floyd's theory of all caves being connected in the area was later confirmed by professional cavers. With over 400 miles of passageway, the Mammoth Cave system is the longest in the world. But Sand Cave remains isolated. The entrance is sealed to keep people out, but cavers in the area to this day still find the initials FC etched into the walls of caves all around Mammoth Park. So had you heard of this story? The first cave rescue effort. It's sad to know that in the end, everyone but Floyd benefited and that he wasn't able to rest peacefully for decades. I also wonder if maybe they had blown warm air into the cave, if he would still be alive. But at the same time, it may have caused everything to collapse on top of him. I'm not sure what to think, but I do know that it should not have taken that long to get a real rescue effort going. I feel like they should have reached out to the governor or someone higher up to help them with the effort after like day one of him being stuck in that cave. It shouldn't have taken so long for them to get true help in trying to get Floyd out. But what do you think of the Floyd Collins story? Leave a comment of your thoughts and don't forget to follow so you don't miss more like this. All sources can be found at occurrencepod.com. Stay safe and I'll see you next time.